0: Right, well, good, mor- good morning, everyone. How are you? Good. Are you tired of hearing people ask you that? I think you probably haven't asked that 25 times today, huh? If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 1 again. I mean, picture the scene, friends. John the Baptist shows up, and he's baptizing thousands of people. I mean, people are just rushing to him. And it's a baptism of repentance where they're saying, okay, we need to change some things. We need to confess sin, and so they're being baptized. And it's a different baptism than we experience today as followers of Jesus. But it was still this commitment. It was this, I need to turn from this bad, and I need to turn to God. But I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people are flocking to him. Even religious leaders are asking, hey, who are you? Are you you a prophet? Are you the Messiah? Should we be expecting someone else? And he, he makes this statement, and it hit me Uh, A few years ago, when I was reading through it, he said, okay, there's one who's coming after me of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. Now think through that. Now connect that to what we looked about God last night and how often we're telling God what he should do and how he should act and how he should do it quickly. See, I think sometimes we treat God like he's the barista from Starbucks. Like he's got to do it quickly, and if he doesn't do it quick enough, then there's really no tip. Or I'm going to show that I'm kind of Christian, but I'll show that I'm a little bit impatient. Or I'm in a hurry, so you better step it up so that I can, so that I can fill that addiction. I mean, have the coffee that I've always wanted for the day, because I can't get by without it. Isn't it weird that coffee is acceptable, but some other things aren't? We can justify our impatience and show how busy we are. But we look at God saying, You better do this or else. You better do this or else. You better do it when I want or else you're not. Yeah. You're not real. Guys, you realize that between the Old and the New Testament, there's a 400 year gap where God said nothing. 400 years did not send a prophetic word, no angelic visit, nothing. Didn't speak. For 400 years, the people of Israel are wondering, where did God go? They're just going through the motions. They're going through all the ceremonies that God had set up in the law. They're following what it is that he said, but there's no voice coming to them. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and John says it, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at verse 35 of John chapter 1. The next day, Jesus, uh, next day, again, Jesus was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed him. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? Guys, I think that's a question that is so important today. He didn't say, Hey, what do you want? He asked, What are you seeking? So friends, if I was to ask you, so what's your life about? If you you do anything with your life, what would it be? Because here's the thing, I never in my mind thought that I'd be a pastor who preaches in front of a group of people. In fact, I think in high school, and if if you knew who I was, I'm much more of an introvert. And when I say introvert, I like people, but I recharge by myself. Anybody like to be by yourself, just need some alone time? That's an introvert. So it doesn't mean you're shy, it just means I like to be alone. Extroverts, you recharge with people. So if you're by yourself too long, you start getting fidgety. It's like, I need to be with people. And then it's like, uh, oh, I don't understand you. You don't understand me. We're just going to accept it. Here you have, behold the love of God. Disciples follow after him. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? I never thought that I would be a pastor who speaks in front of people. I never thought that God would open doors that I'm speaking in front of camps and being part of what Hume does up here. I never thought that. And in fact, I have this little line. It's kind of If you ever say the word never, God, I will never... That's God's playground. Like God's like, oh, you said you would never. And that's why I'm like, God, I will never win the lottery. And he's like, you're right. But but like the rest of it, like this one, no, I will never. Guys, what are you seeking? Saying, well, I still don't get it. Friends, it comes down to identity. Friends, if you could really see how God sees you, maybe you would act and feel differently. If you could accept that you were loved and adored before you could do good or bad, he had already chosen you. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, according to the Bible, in Ephesians 1, it says before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in Christ. That means before you were around, before time began, before God said, let there be light, he said, let them be mine. He picked you. He chose you. And so his love for you is not based upon how did you do today. It's, it's based on himself. Question for you. Raise the hands, right? How many believe without a shadow doubt that God loves you? You just know it. Way up. Charismatic. Not Baptist. Way up. Okay? Now put it down. How many believe without a shadow doubt that God likes you? Uh, I don't know. This is where it's like, I'm not sure. Do you mean like or like, like, like? What do you mean by like? Because I think this is what we think. We think that God's just putting up with us. But when you read the scriptures... And God refers to his people, the Israelites, in the Old Testament who were constantly rebelling against him, he refers to them as what? His treasured possession. Guys, it doesn't sound like someone who's just enduring someone, but this God who has this heart, likes, enjoys, walks with, invites us to be with him, not just to do things for him because he's God, but to enjoy him and to be enjoyed by him. Guys, all this comes from the word. And if we actually believe that God likes us and loves us, enjoys us, does things for our good based on how he defines good, Guys, I think our whole perspective, how we live, what it is that we seek after, who we think we are would be completely transformed and changed. And all John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away with us in the world. And two of his own disciples followed after Jesus. And at no point did John go, wait, what about me? Because it had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with Jesus guys for the longest time, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say, hey, all social media is bad. I used to be on it. I mean, a ton of it, but here's the thing that, got, that, got, that I got convicted about. I used to have Instagram back in the day, but I'd be one of those pastors that would take a picture from wherever I'm preaching, so Sam's speaking at a youth event, and I'd take a picture from behind, and then hands are raised, it's like, and I, I would post something like, oh, humbled to be here, but I would take the picture in such a way that it looked like there were thousands, and there were like 30 And then people would double-tap like it and say, oh, wow, God's really using you. God's really using you. And if I got 100 likes, then I felt like I was validated. And one day I felt like God convicted me and said, "You're, you're using my people for your quick fix of pleasure. Plus, you're also letting your right hand know what your left hand's doing, and I told you not to do that. Isn't it amazing that God says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing, but we let the world know by posting everything that we're doing for Jesus. And we think that it's justified because we're showing that God's working. Guys, I'm pretty sure I can show people that God's working by engaging people, not just posting pictures about it. And so I gave, I gave it all up, and I'm alive. Who would have thought? Like I'm still breathing. My brain is still working. Oh, you can't survive. You can't know what's going on. I am, and I can, and I guess maybe God's making it, God's making it so that my identity's wrapped in who he is and who he says that I am rather than needing the applause of people, but only wanting the applause of heaven. Guys, I want to invite you into that. It's not necessary. But it's when you go to what God says about it. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Two of the disciples go and they're talking to Jesus. And then he's like, one of them is Andrew. He's like, I got to go tell my brother. So he goes back and finds Simon and comes, hey, come, come see this guy. I think this is the Messiah. I think, I don't know, for 400 years, who would have thought it's our generation that gets to see him? But I think that it's him. When you get to verse 42, it so says, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. This would be Simon. said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Anybody know what the, word, what the name Peter means? Has anybody heard it? Yeah, what is it? It means somebody that you can look up to. Kind of, I mean, but literally what it means. He is someone you can look up to. But the word Peter means something. It's a specific object. It means rock. Okay, so Simon, Jesus looks at Simon and he goes, You are Simon, but you will be called Peter. It's like a nickname. And can you imagine Andrew over here going, him? Oh dude, homeboy's a he's a noodle. Like he's no rock. Like he'll bend and fold on anything. So this guy's the rock? There's no way, guys. This is the, not Dwayne Johnson. This is. I am saying, oh my gosh, he really came back. No, we don't believe in reincarnation. Okay, so, so here's here's Simon. He's like, you will be Peter. You will be rock. You will be strong, guys. This is the same Peter that denied knowing Jesus three times. A couple times to his couple servant girls. This is the same Peter that after Jesus ascended, he would act one way when Jewish people weren't there, Jewish Christians weren't there, and then he would act a completely different way when they were because he was afraid that people would judge him, that he was doing something wrong, and Paul had to confront him. Guys, he was not rock, but when you look at his life and how it ended, do you realize that Peter was crucified? That's how he died, and if tradition is true, guys, he was crucified upside down. And you know why? Because he requested it, saying, I am not worthy to die the same way that my Lord died. Hang me upside down. Doesn't that sound like rock? And that's what Jesus said. You are this, you will be this. And I think that he has that for each of us. I know who you are, and I know who I'll make you to become. I know you are now this person, you will be this person. Where do we get this stuff from? The Bible guys, I'm convinced we're in the most biblically illiterate culture in the the history of the church, at least here in the States. And I know we said, I don't like to read. We'll read a menu or we'll read a, a note or a text from that certain someone, something that's funny. I don't have the time. Yes, we do, because we're always, we seem to always have these out, scrolling, double tapping. I like that. And I like that. We just keep going and all of a sudden, that two-minute thing we're going to just do to kind of, you know, kind of get kind of like I'm going to veg a little bit. It, all of a sudden, it turns into a 40-minute thing or a two-hour thing. It's like we just kind of wasted a couple hours of our lives. I don't have the time. Yes, we do. Isn't it amazing you'll always make time for that which, you're, which is most important? You always make time for that which is most important. Why is this so important? Well, Brian, do you know how big this book is? I do. Do you know how hard it is? Absolutely. That's why Christians have argued about it for centuries. But you know what this is? This is God's word. Guys, this tells us the story of Jesus. This tells us our plight, what's wrong with us. It reveals to us the remedy. It tells us the story about God. And yet we make excuses as to why we don't read it. How many of you have ever tried to read it from cover to cover? It's like you start, I'm gonna read it, I'm gonna do it. Like maybe if you get home from a camp, you're like, oh, I'm gonna read the whole Bible today, 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 I'm gonna to nail it. So you get, you get to Genesis, and there's some weird stories in there, but it's kind of fun, it's like a little soap opera. Then you get to Exodus, it's like the first, I don't know, up to about chapter 20, you're kind of like, man, some cool stories here. And then after that, it gets a little, little funky. Then in Leviticus, you're like, what the? Animal died for this, and blood spilled for this, and offering this, and this kind of, and just keeps going. And then you get to Numbers, oh, you're gone. Wow, there are this many people in this people group and this many people in this people group. This people, And I'm, like, I'm thinking that is God's cure for insomnia. And you're done. You just close the book. And the whole thing is you, you miss so much of what God wants to say. Should we read Leviticus? Absolutely. And you should read Leviticus under the guise or under the umbrella of this. God is holy. Therefore, we cannot approach God without the shedding of blood, which points to Jesus. Guys, when you start reading it with Jesus as the main, the main subject, the main person of the Bible, and we start reading this as God wanting to speak to us, that we're not just taken away by what all these charismatic leaders might say, but we, we stick to the book. We, when we realize the value of this book and how many people have died just trying to translate it or died because they want to spread it or share it. Guys, there's been more persecution of, the, of Christians in the last century than all the previous centuries combined. Because people believe that this book is the word of God and presents the gospel, the good news, the message of God, how we can be reconciled to God. Do you see why this is the most persecuted book? Why the enemy would want us to not pass this along? Because this, is, this tells the story of how we can be right with God. Do we get how important this is? I remember I read this email. I got it, I got it in the summertime. And it told this story of a, a little girl named Tavani. She was 11 at the time. She's from Indi- Indonesia, and it said for five years she prayed for this specific thing. For five years she constantly kept praying for this one thing. Do you know what it was? A Bible of her own. That's all she prayed for. For five years she prayed for, for, for a Bible of her own. And then all of a sudden it shows where she got it. And then she made this statement. I, knew, I know that if I, I prayed for that, and now I know that I could pray for anything, and God will come through. But for five years, that means from when she was six, she prayed for a Bible of her own. And most of us have at least one, if not more, and apps on our phone, and we don't spend time in it with him. Guys, I don't care how many people... When I walk up to people, I used to ask this, hey, uh, you reading the Bible? Yeah, how often? There's always how often. Uh, even when I was a youth pastor, three days this week, three, why not four? It was, never, it was never good enough. Kind of a little legalist in me. Now I say this, hey, how are you and Jesus doing? Hey, did you hang out with Jesus this morning? What I'm saying, did you spend time in, in the word with him? Like, are you loving him and you hearing how much he loves you? And are you being challenged by him? Are you being convicted? Friends, if you can't remember the last time that you were convicted by something that God said in here, then you are taking this and you're reading the scriptures through your own filters because all of a sudden you're the standard and Jesus isn't. He convicts us for our good. He confronts us because he loves us. We've kind of lost our awe of it. But guys, the Bible is unbelievable. Guys, you realize this is a book written over a 1500 year span. Three different languages, three different continents, 40 different authors from all walks of life. Every other religious book on the planet, it's usually one person, one time, one place who wrote it. And this book does not contradict itself. It doesn't matter if some dude in, the, in, their, in their mama's basement made some YouTube video that lasts for four minutes showing how the Bible isn't true. I'm pretty sure they're not a scholar. I'm sitting there going, okay, if, 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 if on major moral issues, so on the topic of, say, say, abortion, if I went down to downtown Fresno and I walked and I asked 100 people, the same day, same place, what's your opinion? Do you think all 100 people would agree? Absolutely not. So how is it that over a 1500 year span, three different languages, three different continents, 40 different authors, it all agrees? Historically, it's completely accurate. Archaeologically, digging up things, it's accurate. In fact, I just read a blog post that they found proof that Jonah and the whale happened. They thought, no, there's no whales in that that body of water. And all of a sudden, they found fossils of it. They found bones. They're like, okay, so I'm guessing that there were whales during that time because there's no whales now. I'm like, it just keeps coming. It's like, all of a sudden, you want more evidence, more evidence, more evidence, and boom, it shows it. And yet there's 300 prophecies about the coming Jesus, the coming Messiah. There's 300 Old Testament prophecies prophecies about his coming. Over 300. Guys, the probability that one person would come and fulfill just eight of them is one in 10 to the 17th power. It's like, what is that? Okay, so that's 10 with 17 zeros after it, right? Here's what that number is. Okay, so say, I need one of you. What, what's your name? With a little head. What's that? Braylon. Braylin. I've never heard that name. That's very pretty. Braylon. So all of a sudden, Braylon, Hume, Hume is going to send you in, in your class, but you're the key person here. Braylon, we're going to fly to Texas. First class because Hume's paying for it. So we're all flying first class to, thank you. So we're all flying to Texas. And then when we get there, the whole state of Texas is covered in silver dollars, two feet deep. Guys, that's what 10 to the 17th power. So 10 to the 17th power in silver dollars will fill the state of Texas two feet deep. The same probability that one person would come and fulfill just eight, not all 300 plus, but just eight, is the same probability that Braylon, right? That Braylon, she'd come up and say, okay, I'm going to blindfold you. We've taken one of those silver dollars, put an X on it, a red X, threw it in the middle of the state of Texas and stirred it. You have as long as you want to walk the state of Texas. And if you find it on the first try, you can have it all. The same likelihood she you find it on the first try is the same likelihood that one person would come and fulfill eight and Jesus fulfilled all 300 plus. And some people go, there's no evidence. Guys, there's evidence. This can be trusted. When the Bible itself refers to itself, hey, this is God breathed. It is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Guys, it's the Bible that teaches us all these things about God, all these things about us. Why do we need a Savior? Why did Jesus die? What was the importance of his resurrecting? This concept of what, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. It's like, what, do we, what is love? We all just have this opinion. Oh, it just means accept people or, or be nice to people. Guys, it's so much more different. It's so much more profound than that. That it's patient, kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. That means in the concept of love is the topic of truth. For a person to say, I don't believe in truth, means they cannot love. Guys, when you spend time in the word, here's the key part behind it. I'll close with this. The reason we should spend time in the Bible is so that we can spend time with Jesus. The reason we spend time in the Bible is that we could spend time with him. Not just to know, it's not like we get to heaven where we stand there like family feud or, or a tree of pursuit where we just answer questions to show how much Bible we know. Guys, has nothing to do with that. We spend time with God in his Word, so we can hear him speak to us and we can respond and speak to him and allow God to change us from the inside through his word, by his spirit. You may sit there and go, Brian, there's a lot here. Do you know what time it is? I do know what time it is. And I knew that you slept on, on, on camp beds that aren't all that, they're not all that comfortable. And when, you, and when you rolled over, they probably squeaked. <laughs> I understand that you're tired. But guys, this is so important. I am begging you, think through. If you're sitting there going, I don't know how to read it because it's such a different book. then I would say, walk up to a teacher or a parent or if you're part of a youth group, go to your youth pastor or youth leaders and say, could you show me how you spend time with God in the book? And leaders... If they come up to you, I really hope that you have something that you can say. This is how I do it. Because I do it a way, it's not the way. But friends, we got to get our, we got to get the church back in the words. We actually know what the word says so we can actually bring the gospel to people and see lives transformed. Therefore, culture will be changed. our, Our societies will be changed. Our state, our nation, the world will be impacted by the gospel. Guys, this is the very word of God. Do we treat it as such. Can I pray for us? God, again, I want to thank you that you give us your word. You gave it to us. That we might know you. Know know our plight, your remedy, your heart for us. Also, what you're like. Yes, you are loving and compassionate and forgiving. You're perfect. You're holy. You're terrifying. You have wrath. You will judge sin. God, there's heaven and there's hell. There's eternity with you and separation from you, God. And it all comes down to what did we do with Jesus? God, I thank you for the story of this book. And I think that it's so much more than a book. God, I thank you that you took six days to form the universe. And yet you, you took 1,500 years to pin your heart for us, to write it out for us. God, thank you. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you. Know.